please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. Unfortunately, during my rock bottom, I actually did not get any type of treatment. Um, I was in graduate school in upstate New York, um, and I had had a um, observation from a faculty member when I was teaching, and I made a very big mistake in the logical formulation of an argument that totally screwed up everything about the argument. Um, And it had been building, you know, there's, I think for a lot of graduate students, there's a lot of perfectionism and that can be really hard when you have anxiety to just also have that constant perfectionism and uh, competition. Um, And so just making that mistake, I really kind of, that was the tipping point of both my anxiety and also being suicidal with my depression. Um, Because it was just, you know, in addition to that mistake, a lot of pressure to perform academically um, and got to the point where it really felt like being dead would be better than failing to live up to all of that pressure and all of those expectations. Um, And so I was walking by, there were two rivers in the town that I was in and I would walk over the bridge every day of one of them to get to the bus and I, and it was all frozen over ice and I was like, you know, wouldn't be so bad to just jump into that river. I had at many other points been like, I mean, guess I could get hit by a bus and then I wouldn't have to worry so much about everything. Um, but I was never like, I should jump in front of one. Um, and so that really for me was the like, oh, now I'm like, I should jump into that river. And then I continued walking and thinking like, yeah, really, maybe I should though. And planning and then perseverating on that suicidal thought, which then led to perseverating on other suicidal and self-harming thoughts. Um, And so I went to the counseling center at the university. I was like, this seems like the thing I should do um, because this, like, this is not good. Um, And was basically told that it sounded like I really was just doing too much stuff. And if I could just maintain a calendar with more opportunities for self-care, then I'd be fine. So I should say no to more things and have a good calendar, and then I'd be fine. And that was really the second time in my life that I'd even attempted to seek any kind of help. Uh, My dad is bipolar, and he had a lot of difficulties with mental health care and medication. 
when I was young. And so I was really like, I don't want that. I'm not going to go talk to these people because I don't want any part of any of that. And so it had gotten the prior year, or no, two years before, at the beginning of grad school, it had gotten bad enough that I was like, maybe I could use a little help. And at that time, I was told (laughs) that perhaps if I just slept better and ate better, that I would be okay. So in both instances, I went and they were like, oh, no, no, no. You don't need any help. You're clearly a very strong person, and you know what self-care is, so just do it, and you'll be fine. Um, and so it was really hard, because I was like, well, what the hell do I do now? That was not helpful. <laughs> like, I'm still anxious. I'm still depressed. Um, I have a good enough support system that I'm not going to kill myself, but I had no help. And from that point on... Grad school was just kind of miserable. Allison Coombs, and my diagnosis is generalized anxiety order disorder and persistent depression. Um, so growing up, my parents divorced when I was like two. Um, and so all through elementary school, I pretty much only lived with my mom and then I would see my dad for visits usually every other weekend. Um, and for certain periods, my mom would just be like, oh yeah, dad can't really see you guys right now. And there wasn't a why. Um, and so as an adult, I found out that the why was because my dad had had to check himself into inpatient treatment. And I think for him, it was a lot of shame. And so it wasn't something we talked about. Like mental health was not something that I was aware of with my dad until I was an adolescent. And that's when he was going through, like I was living with him and he was having all these issues with his medication that were really like he would sleep all the time. And that was because he was on lithium. And then he, yeah, this was in the nineties. So the like early mid nineties. And then because of the tiredness from the lithium, then they put him on Ritalin with the lithium which was not good. Like he really kind of freaked out and was having a really hard time because neither that none of that's good, you know? And so that, and he became suicidal. Um, and so that's what I saw. That was kind of my first exposure to the fact that my dad had a mental illness. It was before that really no discussion of that. It was just like, My dad's real cool and creative and Buddhist. It's pretty great. Um, Not to say my childhood was easy either, but I don't think that, like, I understood it as being because of my father's mental illness. Um, And in retrospect, the only degree to which it was is when he wasn't able to be present. Um, the difficulties were more so just like my parents were super young and so and like not necessarily making the best choices 
all the time. And so there were just a lot of strange people around me when I was growing up, drinking a lot and doing a lot of drugs. Um, and so it, I don't think it was normal, but it seemed normal enough to me. I was just kind of like, well, these people are weird. I'm going to go read a book, which is pretty much what I generally did. I really loved school. This was a place I could just go and read books and study. Um, and I loved studying and reading. Um, and I also liked to climb up in trees and read books, which is also really fun. Uh, <laughs> and I liked to run even as a kid and I was super fast and liked to play football. Um, and so like in retrospect, I'm like, that was all like crazy stuff that was happening around me. Um, that you would think would just be like devastating to my ability to be happy and, you know, enjoy life and want to read books. But that kind of stuff was kind of how I dealt with the fact that there was weird stuff happening. I was like, well, I'm just going to ignore this. Um, <laughs> and that worked okay um, for the most part. Um, I think I did, like, not have a healthy understanding of interpersonal boundaries. Um, I saw people being kind of terrible to each other, and I didn't understand that, like, that wasn't necessarily right. Um, but other than that, I just kind of, like, did my own thing um, and was not aware of my dad's mental health issues. Um, but as I became aware of like, oh, my dad is depressed and he's suicidal, like I did worry about him. Um, and I remember one time I was like 13 and I decided to read my dad's journal, which really don't do that to people, <laughs> but I was 13 and I didn't realize that like, that's not a good thing. And it was just him being like, I feel like I've failed my kids and I feel like a bad dad. Um, and that was really hard because I never thought of him that way. But when I then later was struggling with depression myself, I was like, oh, right. Like, you think you're bad at things and that you suck when that's not true. Like, that just is what depression is in large part, is like thinking false shitty things about yourself. stayed in grad school from that time which was like 2014 until the beginning of 2019 um I was in coursework through 2015 and I was continuing to try to do this dissertation until 2019 but I was just depressed I couldn't motivate myself to do the thing and because the providers that I had dealt with were basically like eh really, you can fix this yourself. Um, I really didn't try to get any further help until the beginning of 2019, after I quit my program. Um, and I just couldn't 
focus. I couldn't stay motivated and I couldn't succeed. And I also felt like there was no help for what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. Um, I was really overwhelmed with, again, the academic pressures. Um, I wasn't suicidal. I was just kind of like, God, I'm never happy. Uh, and I'm never, I never feel okay. And I don't think I had really been used to that. Like even dealing with anxiety and depression, I still had times when I felt okay. So I was like, well, I can deal with it. And it had just gotten to the point with the overwhelm with school that I really was like, I'm never okay. <laughs> like I should probably see if maybe I need some help with this. Um, and yeah, when I explained that I wasn't eating super well because I was overwhelmed and adjusting to a new routine and new pressures, um, and food options on campus weren't great. Um, and then I wasn't sleeping well because I was just trying to do everything that I felt was expected of me. So the first year, um, I actually trained for and participated in a half marathon. And that was super helpful. Um, running was just kind of this thing I could do that would get the energy out. And also once it was routine that like, that was just what I did when I got home at the end of the day, motivation wasn't really a problem. It was just kind of like, this is just what I do. I come home, change my clothes, go run, I come back. And then I shower, eat dinner. And the bad part was the staying up super late studying because I had to. And I think sleep was definitely a factor. Like there was nothing wrong with the advice of eat well, sleep well, don't take on too much and make time for self-care. That's all super good advice that my current therapist still does give me. You know, <laughs> like I didn't object to the advice I objected to the, like, we're not going to put any time into figuring out how to help you get there. Um, and so running was the main thing. And then I was super lucky that the roommate I met on Craigslist from Colorado and moved into her house sight unseen um, ended up being amazing. And she still is one of my best friends, even though we now live across the country from each other. Um, she had been a history graduate student that was a perfectionist and she left after her master. She was like, there's no way that continuing to do this is good for me. Um, but as a result, she was a really good person to have in my life. Cause she'd be like, can I get you some food? Is there anything you need? Um, and so having people around me that could kind of see if I was struggling and be like, do you want to eat food? Do you want to sing a silly song? Do you need to hang out with the cats? Like that, I'm not sure. In fact, I'm fairly sure I would not have made it through graduate school had it not been for that roommate. And then a couple of other friends I made who were in my cohort that were also struggling. And we could just be honest with each other that like, I'm struggling and this sucks and I need some support. Um, I wasn't doing as much of the Buddhist meditation that I had done 
for most of my life up to that point that had also been extremely helpful in managing my anxiety and staying motivated. Um, And I think having made the decision to leave behind my religious faith when I left to go to grad school was, in retrospect, not helpful for me um, because it was something that had been an important part of coping. And I just didn't know that because I didn't understand it that way, because I didn't understand myself as someone who was dealing with mental illness. And I had started practicing Buddhism so young because my dad is Buddhist that it was like, this is just what I do. If I feel bad, I just chant and meditate and I feel better. Um, And if I feel unmotivated um, or bitter, I just find like a passage from a Buddhist text that's encouraging and inspiring and I stick it up on my mirror and then rah, rah, rah. And I let it go because I was having kind of ideological differences and doctrinal differences and just not feeling connected to the community that I grew up in. And I was like, well, I don't want to find these people again where I go because I just don't feel heard and I feel like I have a lot of tension. Um, And so rather than working through that tension, I was like, I'm good. And so now in my life, I'm like, you know what? That's actually an important part of coping for me. And so it's something that I've been building back in to my routine. Yeah, so it's interesting because initially when I started having the differences with the particular organization, I did just kind of slowly start backing away and continuing to practice. Um, And I think it was just the major change, you know, moving across the country, being more on my own, kind of having to establish a new life on my own, and kind of being like, I'm not I just can't do this anymore. Again, I think it wasn't a good judgment. Um, I think that I kind of was conflating the two. Um, And some of that is to philosophically studying Buddhism. You kind of get a different perspective of what Buddhism is and is about than like the Buddhism that I was raised with. Um, and so it's much more kind of ascetic and like, you know, deep than, um, you know, than we want world peace. Um, we're going to practice compassion. Um, so there was a lot more of the focus on kind of the bodhisattva path in the Buddhism that I was raised with. And so it was really not just about the self. It was about the self in community and having compassion for yourself and others and having awareness of your own mind and how it influences the way you behave and recognizing that in others as well, like recognizing that their behavior um, may not represent their best self at that time. And that's not about you. And it also doesn't make them bad. And so those were kind of the ways I was looking at it. 
And then studying it philosophically, it's a lot more, you learn a lot more about Buddhism as a reaction against Hinduism and a reaction to the idea of a unitary self that is one with God. And so there's a lot more stuff about like no self, especially when you're studying early Buddhism, which is what tends to happen when you're studying like Buddhist metaphysics and those sorts of things. It tends to focus on early Buddhism. And so I think I was just kind of in a weird place in my understanding of Buddhism and a very big shift in my life that made just kind of being like, nope, I'm not that anymore. Um, seem like a good idea. I still put my altar up in my house and was like, well, maybe I could still do stuff sometimes. But because it was a huge part of my identity. Um, but it just, yeah, I don't, I can't really explain why I thought it was a good idea. I'm not sure that I like really dealt with it that well. Um, There was definitely an increase in self-medicating with alcohol um, rather than um, really having a breakthrough for probably that entire next year. Thankfully, again, I did have people in my life that were like kind of checking in with me and supporting me. And um, I think that the self-medicating with alcohol probably would have led to me being in a deeper depression sooner had it not been for the support system and also the continued kind of motivation around the goals that I had. So I would say that I was just managing to get by for the rest of the time that I lived in Binghamton. And that included while teaching my own course, being the president of the graduate student organization, completing my PhD coursework, picking a dissertation topic, like I was doing all of this stuff, but I was heavily self-medicating with alcohol the whole time. Um, so probably leaving Binghamton in the summer of 2015 really released a lot of pressure because I was back home. I was with my family. Um, I was able to focus on other things besides grad school, um, But I continued to be depressed and anxious throughout all of that as well. Really, the breakthrough ultimately was almost four years later in January of 2019, deciding I'm not doing this dissertation anymore. I'm going to seek therapy and I'm going to run for public office, right? I was like, philosophy is not the way by which I'm going to make my community better. And just coming to that conclusion was really freeing. It was like, I can make my, I'm already making my community better, even though I'm super anxious and anxious and depressed by 
working on municipal issues, by volunteering on campaigns of people who I think are going to make a difference. Um, and so just realizing that I didn't have to get the PhD um, was a huge shift and a huge breakthrough. I would say I hit rock bottom. I started getting drunk all the time and managed to like pull myself up to above rock bottom and coast there for several years. Um, and yeah, and then seeking therapy, taking medication and having kind of the focus and structure of the campaign and the goals associated with the campaign kind of really helped me to pull myself up back out of it. So I'm really only a year out from far enough above rock bottom to get by. Definitely the turning point was quitting my PhD. Um, that was like making that decision, which was before I saw therapy and just being like, nope, I am miserable and this is a big part of it. Um, and being like, I know I can change that. This is definitely something where I keep trying and failing and trying and failing. And that's not good for my mental health. So if I was committed enough to try and not fail, <laughs> then I probably would have done it in the course of four and a half years. And I haven't. So this is clearly not important enough to keep trying and failing and having that impact on my mental health of the constant trying and failing. Um, but I do think the trying, the having some sense of purpose is part of what kept me going. Um, also definitely my family and my friends and knowing that like they do count on me for stuff, you know, and that it would be bad for them at least if I were to be dead. Um, so that's really the main thing that pulled me through that whole time was, well, it would be really bad for all of those people if I was dead. Now, that did not help with the anxiety, but it did help with the getting by. Um, and the drinking, quote, helped, air quotes, very hard, sarcastic air quotes, helped with the anxiety. Um, and then having a sense of purpose otherwise, having roles volunteering in my community, um, having jobs that most of the jobs I had I cared about, um, and I felt like I was doing good things for other people. Um, and so I think that's like kind of the big part of not doing the dissertation anymore was also like, doing things for other people is not enough to actually be happy. It's enough to not want to die, which is good, but it's not enough to actually be happy. And so that's where I think the therapy comes in is that it's been a space for me to figure out how to do things for myself um, and to figure out what those things are. And so I've gotten back into running and meditation, but also like just letting myself chill and snuggle with my cat and not do any work and not do anything for anyone but myself. Um, and it's taken me 
36 years, um, or I guess I was 35 at that time, to be like, okay, it's okay and good to do things for yourself just so you can be happy. meditation and exercise and it the one thing I will say is that antidepressants are sometimes prescribed for both anxiety and depression and the one I took helped me with the depression but not the anxiety and so I still haven't really had the experience of any medication that helps me with anxiety so I'm still pretty anxious like a considerable portion of the time um like so now it's mostly Again, like trying to interrupt the thought patterns of you're not doing good enough, you should do more. And you didn't do X, Y, and Z for somebody else. Therefore, you haven't done good enough. So um, being able to tell myself that like, yes, the things you are doing are good. Um You've done good things. So acknowledging to myself, like the good that I am doing and not focusing on when things aren't going well. Um, so kind of going through some of that mental process as well as meditation, exercise, and my cat, and also cheese. Um, <laughs> these are things that help me with anxiety. But like, yeah, I would say... I'm still anxious more than 75% of the time at some level. Um, it's just only acute enough to really suck a lot. Um, probably about 30% of the time that I'm feeling anxious. So like 25% of the time I'm totally fine of waking hours. Um, <laughs> and then the other 75 I'm somewhere between, like, still pretty okay and, holy shit, oh my god, why can't I breathe? And that, that top level is probably only like 10% of the time. You are worthy, and that doesn't depend on what you do for other people. Um, and... What other people think really doesn't matter that much. And they're thinking about you a lot less than you think they are. You think those are kind of all the sources of really extreme anxiety. Is like, right, on the one hand, obligation to others carried me through some really shitty years. Um, and a sense of like, perfectionism also helped carry me through those years but it's also a lot of the reason why I have a hard time um and so not building up those thought patterns about and some of that is also depression and thinking that you suck when you don't um but right like you're good enough you're good enough and Living for yourself 
and your own happiness is a totally legitimate and valid life path. You don't have to save everyone. You don't have to fix the world for everybody. Which my dad did try to tell me also when I was like 14 and I did not listen. (laughs) There's a theme also of me not listening. So also, listen to good advice. Trust adults in your life who have your best interests at heart. So I think for depression, like, find ways, actually for both, really, find ways to interrupt those negative thought patterns and those negative self-talk. So whether that is, like, taking a little bit of time to, like, do gratitude or breathing exercises or something that, like, brings positivity to be your main mental focus, and I know that's something that people tend to say, dismissively of depression and anxiety is just think more positively and that's not what I'm saying um I think the most important part is to catch yourself when you're really in the grip of things and sometimes you can't do that yourself also so find people you can trust to bounce things off of Because not only my therapist, but my friends have been really good at being like, do you know how that sounds? Like when I'm like, well, I didn't do everything 100%, so I've failed. They're like, like literally today, my therapist was like, do you think other people think that way most of the time? And I was just like. Yeah, no, no, I don't. I think most people are like, I don't know. I did the thing. It's cool. Um, So get feedback from people other than yourself and make sure that like you are doing things that are self-affirming and just being like, I'm okay. I'm a good person. I'm doing good things because depression lies like all the time and tells you you suck when you don't suck like chances are you probably don't suck um and so just remembering that that that's not truth that's not objective reality it's probably the depression talking like loop thinking about how terrible it's gonna be when you get to work tomorrow and you remember you forgot to do that thing that you just remembered you forgot to do and your boss is gonna be so mad and everything's gonna be terrible like the catastrophizing um like again stuff's not really probably that bad and if it is like there's not that much you can do about it because the stuff that you're obsessing about already happened (laughs) you can't fix the past i would say that's probably the biggest thing for anxieties you can't fix the past even the five minutes ago past like you can't change it having happened so obsessing about how bad it was does nothing for you um if you want to make a plan about what you're going to do to fix it that's one thing but obsessing harms you and doesn't change the thing all of us can be successful and we 
deserve to pursue our passions and the stigma around mental illness is very restrictive and misleading around getting the treatment and support we need and also around following our dreams. Um, And so I hope if there's one thing that people take away, it's that mental illness does not have to stop you from pursuing your dreams. Um, And you're not bad or wrong. And it's not something that you should have to hide. And I hope we get to a place as a society where we can disrupt that stigma and end that stigma so that people really know that and they feel like they can come out publicly wherever they are in society and in their lives and say, yeah, I have bipolar, I have depression, I have anxiety, and I'm your neighbor, I'm your friend, I'm your city council member, I'm your president, I don't know. Um, Not meant to be a joke in any way. Um, I mean that people can successfully manage mental illness and become the president. I'm Allison Coombs, Aurora City Council member for Ward 5. For more information, please visit youdon'tfightalone.org. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.